everyone. Welcome back to the Filipino American Woman Project podcast show. This is Nani, your co-host, and I am here with our founder, producer, and other co-host, Jen Amos. Hey, everyone. Hello, Jen. <laughs> uh, before we get started today, <laughs> we want to take a minute to celebrate. It's still October, so we want to take a minute to celebrate Filipino American History Month with you guys like we said in our last episode, and give a shout out to a Panay visionary that you guys have shared with us and wanted us to feature on the show. So today, the Panay we have to feature was shared to us by at Optimist on Instagram, the same person that recommended the Panay that we featured in our last episode, uh, Nina Parks. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about well, Jen, do you want to tell them who we're talking a little bit about? Oh, it would be my pleasure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we wanted to uh, share with you today another Panay visionary, as Nani had mentioned. And thanks to Optimus, uh, we we decided to look into Rocky Rivera. So a little bit about Rocky Rivera. She is an artist who makes movement music for the masses. Rocky's music is a soundtrack for social justice and a rallying cry to challenge the dominant norms of society. Since her first project, Rocky has been challenging the normalcy of misogyny and patriarchy, plaguing hip-hop. But the most important element of Rocky's music is that she creates a safe space to deconstruct the mechanisms of oppression while never losing musicality. So that is Rocky Rivera. Just so you all know, we, uh, I mean, at least for me, this is the first time I'm hearing about her. Um, I found her on Instagram. She has a lot of followers. And so that, um, that tells me that I need to listen to her. Um, and for someone who is not living in the Bay Area, uh, I think I can, I think you can forgive me that I am not aware of her. <laughs> so I want to thank Optimus on Instagram for recommending her. Um, and Nani and I had a chance to do some research into her and share a little bit about her with you today. Oh, I didn't add this, but Rocky Rivera is a Bay Area rapper. It's it's really cool because I feel like a lot of the recommendations we ha are receiving are people from the Bay Area. And for someone such as myself who's never been to the Bay Area, you know, the more <laughs> that I learn about the Bay Area, the more I am nudged, you know, to come visit, which is going to happen. Um, we don't know when, we don't know how, but it's going to happen. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. with that said, I want to thank you, Optimus, on Instagram for recommending Rocky Rivera. It's great to learn that there are female artists out there and Filipino-American women artists uh, specifically. And so listeners, if you have a Panay visionary in your life or there's a Panay visionary that you look up to, please, we'd love to hear from you. You can direct message us on Instagram. You can email us at thefilipinoamericanwoman at gmail.com, or you can check out our show notes to learn the many ways you can get a hold of us. So we would love for you to not only uh, give us the name of your Panay visionary, but also explain why you consider them a Panay visionary. And we'll be happy to give you a shout out and talk about that Panay visionary on the show. I like to say Panay visionary a lot because honestly, it's the first time I've I've heard that. And yeah. I love that Filipino American History Month, the theme is about Panay visionaries. With that said, happy Filipino American History Month, everyone. And let's go ahead and get started with our episode.
Welcome to the Filipino American Women Project, a podcast show that shares stories and life lessons told by individuals living or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a fellow Filipino American woman, and I'm excited for you to join us. Let's get started. All right. Hi, everyone. Jen Amos here with the Filipino American Woman Project. And as always, I have my incredible host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back to the show. Welcome back. Hey. And we are excited because we actually have a special episode today really dedicated to Filipino American History Month. Today, we actually have a guest that was on our show a couple of months ago. If you want to check out Angelica Anahe's episode, you can go to episode eight, which is titled Choose to Live. And uh, Angelica, the reason why we have her back is because she is currently back in school uh, studying literacy. And today we thought we would talk about Philippine X literacy uh, for Filipino American History Month. So a little background on Angelica. She's a mem- memoirist in progress and a fellow book nerd. Angelica, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me back. I'm so excited. Ever since I came back to school, I've been super busy. It's like nonstop movements. <laughs> I think we're all exhausted. So maybe this will, maybe our exhaustion will make this a very genuine, you know, raw uh, conversation. And uh, I did not drink coffee today. So this mm. uh, might bring out a different side of Jen tonight. Um, <laughs> So Angelica, the reason why we brought you on is because, you know, in celebration of this month, I remember in our conversation back in episode eight, Nani and I were just so fascinated by your knowledge of Philippine X literacy. And I sort of knew that I was going to have you back on the show again to delve more into that. One of the biggest things that I learned from our conversation back in July is the Maria Clara archetype. Like I have you know, I've, I've understood it like very vaguely back then, but I really appreciated in that episode when you did like a deep delve into that. And so I'm really excited to dive into that. Uh, but what I'd like to do today for our listeners is I'm going to play student today. I'm going to play student and listener and a piggybacker. And I really uh, would love to kind of hand off the leading the interview questions with Nani, because I know that she was more prepared for this episode than I was because I intentionally came on with an open mind wanting to learn. Okay, so Angelica, uh, for people that did not listen to your first episode with us, episode eight, and want to uh, know what you're up to, why don't you share with us a snapshot of your life today? Uh, More importantly, what what is keeping you busy and most excited? Uh, Yeah, so, well, currently I am a grad student at the Graduate Center, CUNY in New York City. And I'm part of the, it's a newly launched program. So this is the first year it started. It's called the MA in Biography and Memoir. And it's basically like combining the things that I did in my undergrad in terms of being like creative writing and then doing research. So, you know, that's how I, I started with the Maria Clarosik's memoir that I'm working on. 
and like doing the breakdown of the Maria Clara archetype and how I came to kind of live that kind of lifestyle as well as and like trying to draw parallels between the character and then my own life. But yeah, it's basically just a memoir slash literary critique on Rizal's novel. And there's like so much work I have to like get on with by now. So it's like my brain's still kind of frazzled. And even though it's been like, I have a like a two week break from classes. So it's like, I'm trying to like focus on both Get Lit Philam and then my thesis project and then my my semester work. So it's like, that's my daily life right now. Very cool. Uh, for people that are hearing about Get Lit Fam for the first time, uh, what should they know about it? Uh, so exciting news in one week. So October 15, I'm officially launching the Get Lit Fam website. And I think I'll like talk more about that later on, if that's cool. Yes. Okay. okay, cool. Well, it's great to hear about your life right now. I know when we last spoke, um, you were not in grad school. So it's just really cool to hear how much your life has shifted uh, since we last spoke. Yeah. Now I'm excited because I get to play student and I get to sit back and I'm going to let Nani run the show now. So Nani, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> um, so Angelica, from our in our first interview, I also, you also kind of introduced me to the Maria Clara archetype as well. Um, I had heard of it before, but I had not done any kind of reading on it or extensive research. And so since our interview, I did purchase Rizal's novel and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a really slow reader, so I, mm -hmm. I haven't made a lot of progress with it, but I just wanted to get your thoughts and specifically how the Maria Clara archetype was introduced to you and kind of how you made the connection to it in your own life, you know, before you realized that you were operating this way. Yeah, so I came to the novel on my own. I actually have to reread it for the sake of my thesis project as well as for Gillette Philam because I, I want to write about that in the future. So yeah, I got the novel in 2013 and reading the whole thing, it kind of reminded me a lot of like Russian literature, just the way like the style of the the storytelling that Rizal uses. I could say that it comes close to Dostoevsky, the Fyodor Dostoevsky, who's like the author of the Brothers Karamazov and, you know, big name in Russian literature. And I want to do more research on who were uh, Rizal's literary influences that got him to writing this novel. And it was published in... Yeah, I know he wrote it from 1882 to 87. Yeah, I think that's like concurrent with like Russian lit that was just coming out around that time, if I remember correctly. But yeah, I think like the style of the way he wrote it, it reminded me very much of the melodrama that comes up in Russian literature. And it's kind of interesting to see that in, in this novel that's portraying the Philippine life under Spanish colonialism. So I thought that was interesting. And I guess like in terms of characterization, it's almost like he was like 
trying to create certain archetypes for each character. So, you know, you have the the protagonist. His actual name is Cristostomo Ibarra. I said Cristobal in the last episode, but it's actually Cristostomo Ibarra. And the way that I can describe his characterization, he's like the hero or like the ideal Filipino man. Like he's perfect. He's well-educated. He comes from an affluent family. And like in the novel, Cristostomo is trying to build a school for a village in the province. And, you know, he's supposed to be revered and heroic and all those things. And then there's the antagonist who is Father Damaso. So Father Damaso, he's another archetype that's supposed to represent the the corruption of the the Catholic Church and the Spanish friars at the time and how, you know, he's very domineering. And there's other characters in the novel that like I wish I could do like a full in-depth identification for each but basically it was like Rizal knew what he was doing in terms of like creating the characters and trying to reflect the times of you know Spanish colonization in the Philippines somehow that kind of entered into our Filipino consciousness of how we identify certain peoples I, the only great example I can use is Maria Clara herself and how she's been used as the ideal for Filipino women and girls, that this is how we should conduct ourselves and um, our behavior and in at- attitudes. Yeah, and I think that comes yeah. in part from having such a lack of resources up until now, at least, when we're trying to create some of our own that do shape those archetypes for us uh, without even knowing it. You know, like I had mentioned earlier, before even knowing who Maria Clara was or reading the book or learning about the book, I feel like I walked around living within those parameters without even knowing it. Yeah, it's, I just find it very interesting how Rizal even constructed this kind of story and that somehow it permeated into real life. Yeah. Um, it's like we're all characters in his little mind. <laughs> it's scary. Yeah. You know, when when we had our first conversation, Angelica, on in episode eight, you know, talking about Maria Clara is it was very enlightening um, for me. And and I had mentioned this back then and in episode eight, I'll keep repeating it for people that want to listen to it. <laughs> but um it was just very enlightening because I feel like my life whether I knew it or not, was an uphill battle of trying to fight away from that type of archetype and really challenge it. And I feel like that was, it was really difficult, you know, because even I feel like even my family didn't realize what they have me be and have me do. And so it's just crazy to think that the way that Filipinos should hold themselves was based off of a fictional character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it's all a lie. Stranger than fiction. Yeah, someone someone else's imagination, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. I hope this is 
reassuring and enlightening for our listeners who uh, have gone acquainted with the Maria Clara archetype and can understand like why they feel so conflicted. Because yeah, I mean, to me, it, it really does sound like we built our own persona and the things that we value based off of, you know, a lie or off of a, a fictional character. But I am curious, like, you know, you mentioned that Jose Rizal, like, created these characters. I'm ima- I imagine it was inspired by, you know, the times and maybe how uh, Spaniards perceived women and how they put that upon Filipino women as a result. Yeah, I'm like, super curious about that. And, you know, that's something that I'm eventually going to have to do more research on and present that, not just like in my master's program, but outside of it as well, because this is something that really has affected our lives and our family's lives for so many years. It's like someone has to be doing this kind of research and like putting it out there. Yeah, and I think it's you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so tired. (laughs) This is all I think about. Oh, man, that's so crazy. Now, I'm just curious, like, ever since you have uh, come to this, like, epiphany and this realization and you're intensely studying it, do you feel like this has changed the way that you function in life and the way that you see yourself? It definitely has. Um, And it wasn't just, you know, from reading the books. It's also even my interactions with other Phil Ams, both the older generations and the younger or like my age group, basically. Well, Race Panaya is definitely a major step into that space and showing the importance of Filipina women being the storytellers and also creating our own stories, um, aside from having not to like criticize, resolve the Philippine national hero, but I don't want my story to be told by a man and being fit into a certain box from his imagination. It's like, no, I can do it myself. Yes, queen. (laughs) (laughs) Love it, love it. Yeah, it is. I feel I do find it quite interesting that, you know, part of the reason why uh, the Filipino American Woman Project came into existence is because I felt like I, at least in my life, I didn't have enough female role models to, you know, that were storytellers. And most of the storytelling I received about Filipino culture was through a male perspective, um, or in like an intensely historical perspective, like in history books that it just didn't resonate with me as much. And so this show has been very insightful and empowering even for myself to hear our stories directly through, you know, Filipino, Filipina American women. So yeah. Uh, Nani, did you have any thoughts on that? Not yet. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I just, uh... so I just had like questions since you're reading the novel, like, so like what's your experience reading it? It's like, is it something that you've ever read before rather like something you'd read in in school or, or like for leisure, like how's the novel been for you? I I mean, I am still get, I'm literally still on page like 60 or 70. <laughs> like, cause I'm just trying to take it all in. So I feel like I keep going back and rereading things if I feel like I start spacing out, but it's an interesting plot and there's like a lot of moving parts. It's also, I think, the books that I typically read are books that are written, you know, like this year or within the last 10 years. And so it's a different, like you said, style of writing to get used to, which 
yeah, so it can be a little hard to focus on at times, but I'm trying to really focus on the meat and potatoes of the story because it's, yeah, I mean, just like everything we just said, I think it's really interesting that this one person's story is the only story that we've all had as Filipino Americans to kind of hold on to. And we've clung to it so much that even people around my generation or my age, like have never heard or heard of the book or Maria Clara that are, you know, living, breathing, walking Maria Claras. And yeah. it's all, it all stemmed from a fragment of this one man's imagination, like you said, and there's so much more to us and there's so many more of us and we all are so different that it just, it's not fitting anymore, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, like even with my background and like being an English major and like humanities, this is definitely a novel that will not be an easy read for many people because of the style and then also having to know the history of the Philippines and also what was Rizal's motivations for writing this in the first place. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm hoping to like figure out a way to make this easy on folks um, <laughs> and like create a spark notes type of thing. Yes. So. I would definitely benefit from something like that. I want to read the actual story because I want, like I said, kind of the meat and potatoes of it. Yeah. And I want to get the full effect. But what I'm also doing simultaneously while I'm working through the novel is also studying Philippine history on just on my own, like independently. And that has also helped put a lot of things into context for me that I otherwise wouldn't really understand just because of the the time difference, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, even just what I've read so far in the novel is just a lot of physical and emotional kind of the agonies of oppressed people. Things like hijacking religious beliefs to use as a tool of oppression and just really heavy, heavy things like that, that I think you need to be like in the context of a classroom or at least a, a conversational kind of learning environment to really grasp those concepts. It's also a really good or a really important thing for us to know about history and why the book was even written. What happened? You know, I mean, I know that everybody knows he was executed, but, you know, not just what's in the book, but how that transitioned into his life after. So, yeah, I think that we could all use a good... <laughs> history lesson in Filipino-American history. Yeah, getting right on that. Yeah, I have um, I have a question for you, Nani. How do you feel like learning about all of Because, you know, when we when we first started uh, this project together, you know, you you had a very curious open mind and about like everything Filipino culture. And since you've been reading this book and really delving into our history and stuff, I'm just curious, like, how has this impacted your life so far? I would say it's impacted it a lot very quickly. It's what consumes most of my time <laughs> mm -hmm. all of a sudden. And I'm trying to find kind of a good pace. And while I'm trying to do that, I'm also thinking about how it applies to my life and the context of what I'm doing today and what, what I'm trying to do. And it just, it feels really heavy at times for me. It's really important to have a good understanding of our history because 
my whole life growing up, I would always ask my grandparents, my grandpa in specific about like just saying like, will you take me to the Philippines? W- would you ever go back? And his answer is always no. Like he just, he doesn't want to talk about, he didn't want to talk about it pretty much at all. And all he would tell me was, it's corrupt. It's corrupt. It's too corrupt. Mm. You don't want to go, don't go there. It's corrupt. That's all he ever said, like would never, ever elaborate no matter how many questions I asked him. And he passed in uh, like a year and a half ago almost. And Mm. ever since then, I just feel like, and this is kind of going on a tangent and Jen knows a little bit more what I'm referencing, but my dad is, is very closed off to me. He's not into storytelling or talking about Filipino culture or history or anything. And so I don't want my kids to not have to not know who they are and to not have any stories. And so it's really important for me to learn about these things. So yeah, anyway, my point is that in learning about this, it's kind of, or doing this research, it kind of is answering all the questions I had when I would ask him why, when he would just tell me it's corrupt, it's corrupt, it's corrupt. Now I'm kind of understanding exactly what he meant. And while I don't have the same sentiments towards it as he did, I have a better understanding and I can respect his point of view a little bit more. Yeah, I, th- I think it kind of um, makes us appreciate why our parents didn't share a lot of, you know, their upbringing in the Philippines. Like my mom, she's not a big storyteller herself. And I imagine that it has a lot to do with generational trauma and colonial colonialism yeah. and shame, <laughs> you know, for being Filipino. All right, Jenny was here jumping into the middle of our show, as I always do, to remind you why this show is possible. So, you know, at the end of every episode, I tend to say, if you didn't catch our guest contact info, don't worry, we'll have those in the show notes. Check them out. I work so hard on them. You're welcome. Well, it's been brought to my attention that our show notes are not as easy to find as I thought, which is why starting summer 2020, the Filipino-American Women Project is proud to be partnering with Captivate, the world's only growth-oriented podcast host. Captivate is created for independent podcasters, designed from day one to help you to focus on audience growth and the expansion of your audio influence. One way that Captivate makes our lives easier as independent podcasters is by taking the guesswork out of making a website for your show. That's right, a website for your show. So listeners, starting summer 2020, Finding our show notes will be so much easier. All thanks to Captivate. You're welcome, as always. If you're about to start podcasting or are getting burnt out from all the extra work of producing one, like building a website, consider a seven-day free trial, that's right, free, with Captivate by visiting thephilamwoman.com. That's the philam, short for Filipino-American-woman.com. Or, you know, check out our show notes in the meantime, which is in the details section of each episode. Once again, you can visit thefillonwoman.com or visit the details section of this episode. Even though we can't learn directly from our parents, I think the way that they respond to us when we want to learn uh, says it all. You know, like there, there's something that they were it maybe in fact, they were protecting us from, they didn't want us to go through that experience. You know, they left the Philippines for a reason, you know? Yeah. So, so it, it definitely does like add some insight. Like the more we learn around our family that 
you know, we can understand and be like, yeah, like if, if I went through what they went through, so I probably wouldn't want to tell my kids about it either. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's just kind of like, I'm, I think that this was the perfect timing for me to be spending the majority of my time working on this kind of stuff, just because I know that in those past years where I would hound my grandpa, like, why, 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 you know, if he, if he would have responded with this information, I don't think I would have been ready to receive it, you know? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I think I just wanted to add that, you know, in terms of our history, our only, we're very limited on our sources, like trying to find out more about life in the Philippines, as well as like important events that our relatives and our families have experienced through their personal lives. And asking questions and listening to the stories of our families, that's pretty much our only resource at the moment until like we can get more people to actually jot down the histories that you know we're sharing with each other and from our families. This is actually like an active research that's being done. I'm not really sure how to present it, but like, I know it's like very hard for many of us in the diaspora to be like asking our parents or like grandparents or any relatives like questions about what was life like in the Philippines for them, because it could bring out certain trauma that none of us could be prepared to face. So it's like, but I know it's like, it's a research that's, been going on at least like in the academy and this is done by actual Filipino scholars so there's this one author her name is Lenny Strobel and her she has a background in psychology but um, she focuses more on the indigenous Philippine practices and she's also the director of the Center for Babylon Studies which is what I heard from my sister, Jenna Lynn Umipeg. And I've been doing a lot of reading by Strobel. And there's this one essay that she wrote in 1996, and it's called The Born Again Filipino. And a lot of her research comes from interviewing Filipino-American college students, because that's like the age group where we would have our own Filipino awakenings. Mm. And she mentions how it's important to try to include like Filipino language into this kind of research when you're doing studies on Filipino groups. Because a lot of what we like grew up with, like having stories from our parents, like like in my experience, my both of my parents kind of loved to tell their stories of what life was like in the Philippines kind of out of nowhere, but it actually becomes like a very valuable like research method in terms of like trying to figure out what was like the collective history of the Philippines versus like the personal stories of our families. And it's being used as a research method in order to understand the Filipino psyche as well as how cultural values and upbringings have shaped our lives basically and it's done through like informal conversations where there's like chismis or like talking on the phone or like you're cooking 
food together and just like exchanging stories. So, so it's like something that we didn't really think it had value in terms of like jotting down the histories and holding onto the stories for future use. It's now becoming something that's very valuable within the academy or within the research field. Wow. Yeah. That does sound fascinating. Yeah. Like it's a lot of reading and research that, you know, it kind of opened my my mind to it. So I'm like, I'm hoping to like incorporate that into all of my works. But yeah, it's really important, like especially since it's Filipino American History Month, it, it is gonna take a lot of time to like try to extract as much as we can from people that we know they've gone through certain events but never really had the space to like talk about it. And I think it's important for many of us, at least in this generation, to be able to hold that kind of space for, for our loved ones, to be able to tell these stories. Like, it can be tricky because you wanna like be considerate of like the feelings and the trauma that might surface. Because, you know, in our culture, we were told like, you know, not to like bring up certain things that could upset others or even ourselves but i think like we need to have like a a mind shift in which like our stories hold value it doesn't matter what kind of value under what context it's like this is something that connects us to like our personal lives and to our roots even the importance of like storytelling like that's being passed down from generation to generation. And then we're at this moment where we could be preserving these memories and these stories because who else is gonna do it except for ourselves? Right, right. And you're lucky if you had parents that, you know, did what your parents did and kind of just volunteered their stories for you so that you could have that background. And just like you said, for the for those of us who didn't, it's because that space was never held for them to feel comfortable expressing those thoughts and those feelings. And again, just like you said, it's extremely hard to find resources outside of your own family. And so unfortunately, all that a lot of us grow up knowing is whatever our families have passed down to us. And so maybe for those people, Angelica, what are some things about, for those of us who have not had the luxury of having our our family stories passed down to us and learning about our history in that way, what are some highlights of Filipino American history that you think every Filipino American should know? Filipinex American, sorry. Yeah. I think like a great starting point, at least from what I've heard other Filipinx of how they had their own Filipino awakening was, you know, reading this one novel that it is accessible and the language, it's easier than Rizal's novel. It's Carlos Bolosan's America is in the heart. Okay. Yeah. That's in my Amazon cart. (laughs) That's like a very good gateway into learning about Filipinos in the U.S. The novel is described as semi-autobiographical. So it draws a lot from Bolosan's experience coming to 
the U.S. in the 1930s, so around the Great Depression, and how there was a, a scarcity in jobs and the declining economy. So, so Carlos Bolosan, he talks about the experiences of many Filipino men, and they're considered the Manong since they are the, the first wave of Filipinos to immigrate to the U.S., and how they faced a lot of hardships and struggles and discrimination, particularly in the West Coast, where many of the Manongs had to work in agricultural fields and the fish canneries to try to make money for survival as well as for sending back home to the Philippines. And it's a very heart-wrenching novel to read. I had the fortune to read it in a class called Filipino American Literature in college, which was taught by Luis Francia, who is a, a poet and writer. And it really brought out a lot of these emotions from anger to sadness to, it was pretty much like reading the story of an ancestor that I never knew I had. And I think a lot of people will feel the same way when they read the novel and, you know, feeling like they, like now the novel was published in 1946. So that's about like 70 ish years ago. It's like, you know, we're now at a time where, you know, we could be doing something to honor the legacy of the Manongs and all our other ancestors that really had to like fight their way for like justice and for human rights so that us as a generation could, you know, could have lived this type of life where there isn't a lot of hardships, but there's still struggles even to this day in whatever context. So, you know, that's a piece of history that I would recommend everyone to look into because that's how we end up here in the U.S., no matter like what's our background or what was our family's reason for coming here, it's best to like honor the legacies of those that came before us, even if there's no like direct relation. There are many like Filipinos that came here and made sure that future generations wouldn't have to struggle the ways that they struggled in their time. And so like for me, like my way to honor that legacy is to like, bring the importance of literature and writing from the Filipino perspective. And like, that's one of the motivations of Get Lit Philam, just to like show the importance of our stories and that we're the ones that have to tell it. Like we can't let the gatekeepers of the literary canon to take a hold of our stories and our narratives because they're not going to get it right. We're the ones that have to like really do that dirty work of digging into those very dark places that were considered like family secrets or things that our families wanted to keep only within the family. But once we learn that to tell the stories, we can see that a lot of other families have experienced similar struggles and hardships. So it's something that's worth putting out there, but in a very honorable way. So. That's my sermon. Oh man. <laughs> you know, you know, now that you share that, Angelica, I okay, so I haven't I haven't brought this up on the show yet, but 
back in college, uh, my exposure to Filipino culture was through Filipino culture nights or FCNs, PCNs. Are any of you like fam familiar with those type of productions? I heard of them, but I've never, I never went to one. Okay. Same. So, yeah. So, um, so shout out to um, Andres Bonifacio Samahan. It was the Filipino organization that I was a part of at San Diego State University. And I remember when I entered college, I was very like, <laughs> I was a, a very self-loathing Filipina at the time for a number of reasons. And if you want to know those reasons, just listen to all the last episodes because I tend to bring them up pretty often. But I remember my best friend, we knew each other all the way back from third grade. I remember my freshman year, he decided to get super involved in college and he decided to get involved with a production called FCN or mm -hmm. Filipino Culture Night. And he had invited me to watch his watch his show. And I told him, I was like, you know, I'm only going to go because it's you because you're my best friend. But other than that, I don't want to be affiliated with like any Filipino organization or anything Filipino <laughs> while I'm in college. Okay, only because of you because I love you. And we've got we, we go way back to third grade. So I go to this Filipino culture night. And crazy how we're talking about this because that that production was all about Carlos Bulasan or Bulasan. I think is how oh, I pronounce it. Yeah. Bulasan. Okay. And um, the main character that, you know, is playing was, was Carlos. And I, was it that? Yeah, it had to be that one. Was it that? No, actually, maybe it was the second production. My bad. No, it was, it was definitely one of the productions that like, it was one of the productions that just extremely like inspired me to get involved with Filipino culture nights. Like that was my window into learning about Filipino culture um, mm -hmm. so much that I ended up becoming a Filipino culture night coordinator my third year in college. And my production was a, a different type of story. It was more focused on, you know, what happens to culture and community when we become more, when, when schools become move online. And so my production was all about like, you know, there's this college, like in the future that, you know, half of the courses were online and half of the, you know, half of the students would actually go on campus. But it was kind of showing like the death of like, you know, discussing the death of like, you know, if we don't have this in person community, what happens to our culture, what happens to like, you know, whatever and stuff like that. So anyway, one of the productions that Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm remembering now. <laughs> so I remember my friend got my, the first production my best friend invited me to was actually around the time of like martial law and stuff like that. And then I believe it was the second year when um, we had the story about Car Carlos. Um, oh, my gosh. Carlos Bulosan. Am I pronouncing right? Yeah, okay, cool. Cool. Carlos Bulosan. All right. And I vaguely, vaguely remember, because this was like a decade ago, guys, like a decade ago, <laughs> I remember I was one of the like main three female actors who were exploring that history. Like we were kind of like asking all the questions and then, and then, you know, we do flashbacks of like the time when, you know, Carlos Bulosan was like involved and what he was doing in his journey and how difficult it was. Um, and so I vaguely remember that. And so I, I think it's so cool that we're discussing this because now I feel like I, like, even though I studied my lines. <laughs> At that time, I was so I, I knew so little about our culture, that it really didn't make a lot of sense to me at that time. And so now that we're talking about it, it's like, man, like, I kind of want to, you know, watch the recording of that again, and and see, see what I was missing out on, and even read his book. So, you know, thank you for talking about this. It's helped me kind of remember, like, my own background and how I started to, you know, fall in love with our culture and learn more about our history. You know, my way of having done that was through Filipino culture nights. And Carlos Bulosan was one of those stories that was featured. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to attend a Filipino culture night because I also had like this jaded view towards like Filipino culture. So yeah, there was a Filipino cultural student organization on my college campus, but I was apprehensive to join it because I thought it was going to be like any other Filipino group that just wants to like do your typical Filipino parties and like Christmas and whatever. So it was like something that I didn't bother like trying to get to learn about. But then it was only until like after graduating college that I learned about what PCNs or uh, FCNs were. And I never attended one, but I, I'm hoping somebody could invite me to one, shouting out, putting out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I could blend in. Like, yeah. But anyway, but I find it interesting that like these very groups are getting more into their culture and the history and like putting it on the stage performance. So that's something that I wish I had the opportunity of doing when I was still a student. Like it's kind of inspiring to think that young Filipinos are engaging in our culture and history in that way. Yeah, it was a really big thing, um, at least when I was going to school. In fact, the only there's only two reasons why people would get involved in our Filipino organization was for, oh man, I, for, I totally forgot what the name of that one, of, oh, Friendship Games. So Friendship mm -hmm. Games was an opportunity for Filipino organizations in California to get together and just compete. That was like one reason like why people would join the Filipino organization. The second reason was because of Filipino Culture Night. That's when our meetups, like our weekly meetings would get um, the most populated because people either wanted to do sports and party hard um, or they wanted to participate in a play and then party hard after. Either way, it ended up partying hard <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> Always, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, after my production, I like – I got so wasted. Like it was, it was kind of, it was traditional guys. Like it was so traditional to like, after every major event, you would have this house party and you would be chugging like 151. I think that's what it was called. Like the crazy intense, like tequila. Um, and you would just get so drunk and people would be throwing up everywhere and people would just sleep over, like scattered all around the party house. Oh man. I just, I remember those days for sure. But yeah, it was, it was such a huge deal. In fact, like even running for Filipino culture night coordinator, was a huge deal, at least in my day. And I remember I wanted to so passionately like become the coordinator because I felt like I had, I had all this like kind of like what, what you were talking about, Angelica, like I was very apprehensive of being involved in the Filipino community. A little about my background, I was bullied by Filipino American women when I was in middle school and I hadn't had the healthiest relationships with my relatives. And so I just had a very skewed perspective of the Filipino community. But something about Filipino culture nights really just like lit my, you know, lit the fire inside of me. And I felt like I had to just share like all these mixed feelings I was having about our culture. And so I was actually involved with the Filipino culture nights like every year up until I graduated because I felt like I learned the most about my culture getting involved with those plays. And so, yeah, it's kind of crazy to talk about this and, and just for me to be talking about this out loud and realize how appreciative I am that I was in a school that valued this. Now, don't get me wrong. 
you know, I, I still had, I was still apprehensive in the student organization, but I, I think it was about finding the right people to associate with that were not just there to party, but were actually there to learn about their culture. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, well, cool. Very insightful stuff. I wanted to check in with Nani and see if there are any other topics or questions you had for Angelica. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a lot of notes here, and so I don't want to just be like spewing random things out. <laughs> like anything else in particular that you want to highlight specifically a history like fact or something. I mean, just another one of the things that I had taken notes on from your Instagram stories was someone had responded about someone called Agent Edward Lansdale, who was basically, uh, I don't know what his title was, but he controlled the seventh Filipino president, Ramon Magsaysay. And she said that he would do things as aggressive as like physically beating him if he refused to say out loud like a speech that the CIA had written for him. And little things like that, that kind of, I think that it's important, even if you don't want to like read a whole history book about it. I think it's important to highlight some of the ugly stuff. You know what I mean? What do you think about that? I honestly don't remember talking about that. Well, it was just a, someone had responded to your story and you had just reposted it, I guess, but Um, it doesn't have to be that just like kind of an example. I'm still trying to work through like, how I describe it. And so for me, in reading about like these different encounters, basically, it just makes me feel really hopeless in a way and frustrated. And I'm just trying to get out an example that might kind of invoke that in our listeners. I guess that's why I earlier asked about like, if you've had conversations with people or even read like literature from that was based in the Philippines versus based in America, like how people view the Marcos regime differently and, you know, how some people still agree with his style. Yeah, it's it's also something that I'm still trying to wrap my head around because yeah, same. <laughs> That's yeah, why I'm like, not really, really sure how to phrase the question. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's really hard to like, actually find any credible resources that talk about the corruption in the Philippines. And, you know, especially with the Marcos regime. Um, I was actually thinking about how, like, the times when I would ask my parents about it, because, you know, they lived through that period. But from what I could remember, it seemed like, the, the policies and the martial law that were enacted in that time, it seemed to like only affect directly those that lived in Manila and in that vicinity versus like my family. And they were living in the provinces in Southern Luzon. I'm not entirely sure if martial law had like directly affected all parts of the Philippines, but like from what my family has said that it was something that didn't really bother them so much. And it's not something that I could accept as is, but like, I feel like there's like a story much deeper than that. And like, kind of like bringing it back to the earlier part of the discussion that we have to be careful of how we bring up these questions and stories for like our parents and our families. 
because it could surface the trauma. But from what I remember my parents telling me, like for my mom, she was more focused on her job as a nurse and in midwifery. And she was really trying to get her visa to to be able to come to the U.S. because like her main concern at the time was my older brother needing that surgery for his heart condition. And it had to be done outside the U.S. So that was something that my mom had to focus her energy on. And I do remember her saying that she wasn't able to vote during the time, I think, either to oust Marcos from his position or something like that. I think this was like 1984. Like that was when she came to U.S., but I think also at the same time, that was when the Marcos regime was falling apart, if I remember correctly. And for my dad, it seemed like it didn't really bother him so much. And I wish I could have asked more about that. Because he has why I ask you that is because my dad is the same way. He was in the Philippines, he was born there and lived there for like seven years while Marcos was president and he also is just very like indifferent about it and that's why I'm kind of like well what did your parents tell you you know (laughs) I feel like that's like something that is going to be a constant questioning about I think like at the time that they told me it was before I was like so adamant about recording the histories and the stories of my family but I can still remember bits and pieces of it for my dad, I know he was, both my parents were in their late 20s, early 30s, around the time of Marcos. For my dad, I know that he kind of was part of a, a group that favored like American intervention to like get Marcos out of the government, but then have the Americans come back and colonize us for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, but that's exactly where I'm at in my my history lesson with myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really crazy. Well, I think we can all agree that there's a lot of holes in our stories. And those holes are hard to fill because just like what you said, Angelica, we want to be very mindful and respectful of our family who may have gone through traumatic experiences. It's interesting because, you know, back then I was so naive to think like, oh, my mom doesn't want to tell me anything because she's so like simple-minded and she doesn't care, you know? (laughs) But, But now that we're having this conversation of potential trauma, you know, and which I know, I know my mom had gone through her own form of trauma that she probably wouldn't identify as trauma. Uh, but I feel grateful to my sister, uh, Josephine, who, you know, when she was involved with Ray's Panay earlier this year, when she really connected with my mom and asking her questions about like her childhood and what she went through with molestation within our family, within our, within our relatives and how, you know, that affected not just mom, but also grandma. And it's just, we just kind of come from that, you know, lineage of women getting molested, like within the family. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I, I can't expect my mom to explain that to me, you know, and so I, I, I really, I'm really grateful for my sister to do that or, or to have done that. And, but it also makes me realize that maybe my family had like, there, there's more to that, you know, that's just one of probably many things that 
I have to be respectful of, and I'm just going to have to try to figure out, you know, how to fill in those holes my my own way, or possibly uh, have the courage and really drop my own ego later in life, still have an ego, uh, you know, to connect with uh, certain family members and really ask about like our history uh, as a family. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's actually, Jen, something that I want to talk to you about separately because I just recently had that uh, idea too of like interviewing my own family members. <laughs> yeah, no, that that would be really awesome. I want to say like, I wish I came more prepared to this conversation, but I also am glad because the fact of the matter is, and Angelica, you mentioned this uh, quite often throughout our conversation today, there's just not a lot of education, like not not a lot of accessible resources and books and and you know, stuff available for us where it it's just easy to digest this information. And so that's kind of where my mental block is, is like, I, I wish I could run into it casually. I wish it was part of my everyday life, you know, to know about like what's going on in our culture. But for me to do that, I have to actively seek it out, you know, hence this project. I had to act- actively connect with other Filipino American women um, to share their stories because I didn't, I didn't even know where to begin myself. I couldn't find it in my own family. And when I was in college, I had a lot of mixed emotions, even being involved in my Filipino organization. And then even the years after that, when I would kind of be in and out of the Filipino community, I just feel like it's just such an an uphill battle to be Filipino, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like in America. And I, I feel like I'm doing my best to meet myself where I'm at and not feel ashamed for not knowing you know, not feel ashamed for not even speaking Tagalog or the two other dialects I'm supposed to know. But hopefully, at least for our listeners and hearing me talk, that you can relate and know that like this, it's frustrating. Like it, it, it really is frustrating that, you know, for some of us, like even yourself, Nani, like in our adult lives, like we have to go out of our way to learn our culture. And so, you know, I feel like that's where I'm at right now. For me, I, I feel a little comforted talking to you, Angelica, because you are someone who is investing so much time in learning about uh, Philippine X literature and taking time with us today to talk about it. It's kind of like what you said about Jose Rizal and how like you wanted to redefine or rewrite your story as a Filipina American woman and not, you know, not like live based off of this, you know, male's perspective of us. Like I feel most mm-hmm. comfortable having these discussions with with you ladies and, and all the ladies that we've had throughout the show. Cause otherwise, like I, I remember even talking to my male Filipino counterparts um in college, it was still very difficult for me to learn from them because most of the male, like the Filipino males I spoke to about our culture were very factual, you know, very much about like, you know, the history part that it was, it was really difficult for me to just internalize that. I I feel like having conversations like this, I'm learning so much more about our culture and our history than I am, you know, the the other way around. And so I think if I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life learning history through us, fine with me. (laughs) Like if that's, if that's how I'm going to process it, that's the way I'm going to process it. Yeah, it kind of gives me hope that there are many of us right now that are actively trying to, I guess, like set up archives for our history and for our stories so that the future generations would, you know, have less of the burden to like collect these things, but, you know, more so to add on to it. And that's something that gives me hope. And 
it gives me more motivation to keep doing all this work, despite how tired and frustrated I get every time I have to like sit down and then write a book. I actually am writing a book. Yeah, <laughs> it's like being so tired. Like I can't even vocabularize anymore. <laughs> I'm running out of words. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I think we can all relate to that <laughs> that yeah. feeling. But you know, um, it's fulfilling, like doing the writing and the reading, because I know, like for sure, sometime in the future, there are going to be many people who are grateful that we have these things set out for them, and it's it's for us basically. But just to normalize, like this information being out in the open and taking up space, essentially, because why shouldn't we? <laughs> and yeah, I think that. A lot of us learn about our history through either our family or like things like cultural nights or different cultural events. There's so many of us setting up our own archives because that's exactly what we're doing. But I also want to recognize that that's a luxury that has not been afforded to our ancestors uh, in the past, that yeah. a big part of our history is oppression and erasure mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. a big part of our history is being forced in a direction that we weren't originally looking in or or didn't decide to go down and i think that that's kind of like the ugly part that nobody wants to hear about but i think it's it's necessary to at least have a general idea of so that you can really appreciate yeah definitely i think it's important to like um, also realize that it's okay to feel frustrated and that, you know, we seem to have a lack of a history or like gaps in the history because we weren't the ones that, you know, wrote the official history. It's like something that was erased from our collective memories and history. And it's up to us ourselves to be, you know, filling in the gaps. You know, this is something that comes up a lot, at least in, like in my recent studies, how the academy has um, affected the way that we validate certain facts and stories. It is, it's very frustrating because, you know, you have to combat with many people who say like, no, this is the thing that is the fact, that's the truth. And then you have another group that's like, well, that's not how... I grew up listening to it and I'm drawing my facts from people that actually lived through it. It's like this constant battle between what is actually like validated versus like what is actually a lived experience and like who's the one to like say that this is what actually happened. Um, right. Where you're getting your sources. Right. And we have to understand that also where we are, we're here in America and the education that we've received, no matter what the class is called, is an installation of the American version of whatever really happened, you know? Yeah. And I think that's also really important to note too. You know, I was just talking to one of my friends yesterday, last night, who is a Filipino teacher and was saying exactly that, that, you know, they have to teach this curriculum that they may at certain parts stop and be like, what? You know, like based on my experience or my knowledge from elsewhere, mm -hmm. this is contradictory, but here I am at my job and I have to teach it anyway. That's also something to consider. 
Yeah, it's sorry. I'm like, I just feel so tired just thinking about my recent conversations the last few weeks um, with my program. Like last week, I had to attend a seminar by this person who teaches at prominent universities and how, you know, the subject was on oral history. And from what I could recall, it felt like something, it seemed like to them, it was something that was revolutionary and it could be a game changer within like, like the research field in terms of like gathering biography and memoir or basically like anything that has to deal with writing about life of another person. And throughout the whole seminar, I'm just sitting there thinking, uh, this is something that I grew up with actually. And you're trying to tell me that this is something that everyone should be doing because it's like a such a new revolutionary thing. It's like, no, this is something that my mom has taught me, my dad and my brother, any other relative I have that has sat down with me, like doing whatever, and then just suddenly telling a story. And it breaks into like questions of like the correlation between that personal memory versus the historical event. And, you know, for Filipinos, oral history has been our thing for many centuries, even in the indigenous Philippines, like before we had colonization happen to us. And I had to politely tell this person, you know, that was our thing. And yeah, I guess it's just like one of those things in grad school where you're like having to like combat with like your personal experience versus like what's set in stone within the academy. Mm. Yeah. I was just thinking about something that you said on a previous episode. I don't remember what we were talking about, but you were talking about people sharing their stories and how it might always, it might not always be factual to you or to someone else, to an outsider listening, uh, but that it's very much real for them. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's something that, or maybe that's a reason that I struggled a lot in school because I had a really hard time just accepting whatever someone was telling me as the truth. I'm the one that is always like, well, what about this? Like playing devil's advocate and trying to poke holes in your, your story. And yeah, I think that that's, that's something Mm -hmm. to consider like your personal experience based on the curriculum that you're learning or whoever's story you're absorbing can both exist at one time is kind of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It goes back to what I was trying to say about how your personal experience can exist with someone else. Your truth can also exist uh, in conjunction with someone else's truth, but that can be a really hard ground to navigate, i.e. my conversation with my dad that, you know, happened a week or two ago, but I'm still sitting here like, what should I have said? Or what can I say now? to kind of like, just open it. I don't want to change his mind, but just open it up a little, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of funny because like for my family, you know, when I started having like my pursuit in Filipinx literature, I remember like my mom saying something like, it's great that you're engaging with the Filipino culture this way, 
because when you know, when you were younger, it seemed like you weren't very interested in it. And I was very confused because I had always been curious about the Filipino culture, but it wasn't like I had the language to articulate that need or that desire. So yeah, it's kind of like, you know, you have like one type of existence happening at the same time. It's just like the matter of communicating that or finding the, the words to like articulate that need. Um, I guess it like it had to there has to be something to kind of like trigger that desire to like actively become engaged in learning about the Filipino culture ourselves. As much as like our parents like care about us and wanting to provide us with a a certain lifestyle that you know they may not have had the fortune growing up with, but then it comes at the cost of losing the opportunity to learn about the Filipino culture, like yes. for exactly. our own growing up. Exactly. And that need that they felt in their generations to assimilate and become more American and fit in essentially what they didn't realize. I don't think what they were doing is that they were erasing our culture and they were erasing these like parts of ourselves, you know, historically for their kids and their grandkids. Mm-hmm which is, you know, neither here nor there, because obviously that wasn't intentional. But uh, when you look at it from a historical standpoint, it was, you know, and we just were caught in in such chaos. And yeah, sorry, it, it makes me feel frustrated. <laughs> it's always frustrating. Yeah. Well, I remember what I wanted to say earlier about, you know, like sometimes the stories that we tell ourselves are not always factual. So going, kind of going back to that. And so I feel like today in our generation, we have the luxury to, to study, you know, and to research and to do this whole scavenger hunt of learning about our history and our culture and finding the books that, you know, can help us make the most sense out out of all of this. Um, I also think that we're in a very, what do you call it? We're in a very fortunate time where we have the power to not just document these stories as soon as we find them, but document our own stories and focus on distribution. I think that's the most important thing because a lot of us are stuck right now. A lot of us or a lot of us feel like there's these holes that need to be filled. And I think collectively, you know, together as a community, we can help, you know, fill in these holes by distributing our stories and sharing the resources that we find to one another. And knowing what we know about like our family and the generations that have come before us, I think it's quite an honor that we we are in a position to write our own history now. I think there's no better time to do it than now. Do you ladies agree? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's my greatest takeaway from our conversation and having and doing this podcast show and part of why we have gotten so much um, exposure in just the last couple of months, I think it's just because we're in a place now where our community wants it and we want to work together. Like I, I could think of a number of people who are authors or who put together events, you know, to continue uh, learning, uh, you know, teaching the Tagalog, you know, teaching Tagalog. There's, there's so many people we've had throughout, you know, these interviews where we are being the change that we want to see. And I just couldn't feel more fortunate and grateful and blessed 
to be in this position with you ladies and and really with our community as a whole. Same. Back yeah. at you. <laughs> You're a Pinai visionary. Yes, <laughs> you are. <laughs> yes, according to the, let me give him a shout out <laughs> since, we're, since we're talking about this. <laughs> I want to make sure I do justice to their name. Yeah, so I just want to give a shout out to the uh, Philippine American Foundation for Charities that's in Washington, D.C. metro area for just giving the Filipino American Woman Project uh, and, and, and myself, I guess, <laughs> a, a, <laughs> and a shout out about being a Panay visionary this month, because if this is the first episode you're listening to this month in October, you should know that the theme for Filipino American History Month are is Panay visionaries and identifying the visionaries in your life who are alive and kicking or the ones who have uh, come before us. So so thank you. Uh, both of you for saying saying that. <laughs> yes, congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Well thank deserved. you. Thank you. I say that like shyly, but also I know I I I don't like turn down the compliment. You know, it's more like it's like yeah, it's just really cool that what we're doing is affecting people and in a very positive way, and that's all I hope to continue to do. And I, I, I want to speak to our listeners, you know, if you're listening and you haven't shared your story yet, um, or you, you know, throughout this whole conversation, you thought of resources or books that you want to recommend, please reach out to us. You can learn more about that in the show notes, uh, or you can reach out to us on Instagram, the Filipino American woman. And we would love to just have this collection of history and resources and books and just everything so that not someone such as myself, who can like, you know, absorb it all because it's a lot, but hopefully we can kind of collect all of these items and all of these, you know, resources so that our community doesn't feel like they have to do the scavenger hunt as much, you know, even to just listen to these shows and, and hear a book that's recommended. Hopefully that it will be a catalyst for our listeners to read it and let that be the next, you know, like the baby step or the catalyst, as I said, or the stepping stone, <laughs> you know, to, to seek out more resources and more items or even, you know, join in on our conversations. That mm -hmm. That's kind of my, my piece on it uh, and what we're talking about so far. Uh, does anyone, anyone else want to add to the conversation <laughs> so, it's like a little self-promotion um yes uh get listful am like i am trying to like put together that catalog of books where you can read the books by and about people of filipino descent so there's like a wide range of genre from fiction to non-fiction poetry and also even like well, let's just say academic academic research going on so I'm like trying to put together that catalog and it's based on like my own personal collection as well as what's ever getting around the Phil Am circle online and also book recommendations and it's it's gonna be a growing list so like I highly welcome any recommendations that anyone has and also with the Gellet Phil Am on the website, that's gonna come out next week. I will be posting essays slash reviews about each book that does come my way so that folks can get some sort of like a, a guide into if they decide to read the certain book or like they need help trying to like break down certain topics and, and concepts that need further explanation. Because I know like some of the the material that's out there 
it's written under the assumption that the reader would have known like that type of study. And so like, that's what I'm gonna try to do with Gellet Philam through the essays and reviews, like try to like bring in more nuance to those certain areas that the authors are talking about. Even trying to like explain, like, okay, I'm like trying to put together some sort of like virtual classroom kind of vibe where, you know, a lot of like the things that get talked about in literature can be confusing. Like if you're not familiar with like a certain concepts or jargon that comes up in literary circles, I do have like a, a section where I do a breakdown of those terms. So something like the word decolonization, that's a word that comes up a lot in many of the philam circles, but it's kind of hard to like find a very clear, simple definition of what decolonization means. Mm -hmm. But it's something that a lot of us are actively doing or you know, subconsciously doing. So decolonization is in definition, the unraveling of certain attitudes and behaviors that were taught to us under colonial mentality and trying to reform ourselves and our thinking as Filipinos just to undo the things that we thought was like one way of living or what defines as Filipino, but it's actually something that has a lot of oppressive history behind it. And I try to explain that in, in simple terms and also cite the resources where I get that information because, you know, it's important to give credit where it's due. And I credit Lenny Strobel for providing that definition because that's basically her research and she's putting that out there. So Gela Philam is something that I've been working on for a long time and I'm really excited to finally put it out there. And I really hope that it's a space where folks can come in, like if they are avid readers or they're just starting to get into reading more. And, you know, I want it to be like an accessible resource where you may not be in school for whatever reason, or you're in an area where there aren't a lot of Filipinos around that you can talk about literature or like Filipino culture, like I'm hoping that this is what Gillette Philam will be for many people, that it can be like your virtual classroom slash chill book club slash, you know, book nerd recommendation site. So there's yeah, that. I love it. Yeah, I think that that maybe would have been a good place to start this conversation with maybe like defining what decolonization is and talking a little bit about that. And I've heard on of the other like Pinai podcasts, um, kind of a timeline or an overview of actual like historical events in the Filipino American history or her story. Mm -hmm. But I'm really glad that our conversation was held in this kind of way today, just because I think it, it's important to understand what that means in the context of today and where you're at now and, you know, specifically pertaining to the Filipino American Woman Project and identifying as that. So thank you for sharing. And, mm -hmm. and 
For all of our listeners, you can follow Get Lit Phil M for the website launch for more of that timeline information. Yes. And to uh, piggyback off of that, uh, Angelica, I uh, just am in admiration of the work that you're doing. You know, there was a part of me that had hoped with this podcast show, I would be able to provide something like that. But I love how you're getting, you know, um, down and dirty with the literature. (laughs) And I I feel like, you know, for anyone that is listening to the show, hopefully, this show was a bridge for you to connect with someone like Angelica, who is, you know, really making this like her life's work right now, um, and providing these resources. And I especially like that I am learning about these resources and literature through you, Angelica, as a Filipina, because I, what, like I had mentioned, like it just didn't resonate as well with me having having heard it through my, you know, male Filipino counterparts. So thank you, you know, so much for what you're doing. And I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't the last conversation we have <laughs> on our show with you. So watch out. <laughs> Like, you know where to find me. (laughs) You're like, I'll be here for a while. (laughs) I'm not not going anywhere. I'm I'm stuck here with my books. So yeah, you have a whole novel to write. (laughs) (laughs) Trying. Yeah, no, I I love it. I love knowing that there are, uh, you know, Filipinas in our community that um, are doing work like this because, you know, ultimately that's what I was hoping to find and hoping who to connect with are women like me that have this desire to, you know, learn more about themselves in, in a safe environment and in, in an encouraging, you know, uplifting environment. And, you know, just knowing what you're doing is like, you know, it makes me feel at ease knowing that when I'm ready, like when I have downtime to just delve into all this literature, I know that I can depend on you for that. <laughs> I'll do my best. Well, I think you're already doing a great job. (laughs) I want to go ahead and uh, just kind of pivot a little. Uh, Nani, I know there were a couple of other questions you may have had for Angelica. Did you still have any like on your list of things? Not so much questions. I mean, I had a lot of notes on, oh, maybe you can talk a little bit about, forgive me, I don't know how to say his last name, Larry Itleong? Yeah, Itleong. Okay, who he is and Philip Veracruz. I know that they're two like historical figures in Filipino American history that are important if we wanted to highlight them. Or is there anyone else that you think would be more appropriate? Yeah, I know I know some trivia about them. They were the farm workers that led the United Farm Workers labor organization yeah sorry yeah that's yeah, yeah they were that's the leader I know. <laughs> of the labor organization and they were contemporaries of cesar chavez who is the one that gets the most clout mm-hmm. um, in regards to the labor organization and i think they were also contemporaries of Bolosan who was also part of that organization in his activism with organizing unions for the farm workers in the West Coast because of the poor working conditions of the agricultural fields and the need to organize and to demand rights for their protection and for their livelihood. Mm -hmm. And I wish I like did a little bit more research on it Leong and uh, De La Cruz, 
but there are definitely people that really fought for labor rights. And I think it has gone into effect to this day for those that are working in the agricultural fields. There is actually a children's book that's published under Bridge and Delta, and it's called Journey for Justice, The Life of Larry Itleong. And it's written by Dr. Don Mabalon and Gail Romasanta. And it's illustrated by Andre Sibayan. And it tells the story of Larry Itleong from his childhood to his activism and you know, basically his life and how his legacy has carried on, uh, not just for the farm workers, but for many Filipino Americans to this day. And I have the fortune of having my own copy of this book, thanks to Raise Panay Raffle. And it's such an honor to have this included in my collection and to even have something that's, you know, with the focus for much younger Filipino-American children to start learning about our history in the U.S. So it's great that there is a resource for that. And especially for us adults, like we can start learning that history as well. Yeah. That's awesome. I dig it. All right, listeners, there you have it. Um, we are so fortunate to have Angelica Inahe today uh, to talk about you know, what she's doing in grad school and uh, really creating a, a virtual resource for Philippine X literature. Um, and if you want to learn more about that, you can check out our show notes. Um, I'll also be providing some of the book references or the books that have been referenced uh, in the show in the show notes for you because I'm a super generous host. You're welcome. Uh, Angelica, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Uh, Yeah, so I would highly suggest that you do consider getting more into story. And whether it's like your first time being a writer or being a reader or any, wherever you are in your literary journey, always think that you're writing for yourself. And it's very important for us to really value our own stories and also to honor the stories of our families and our relatives and those that have experienced like significant events in our history. Because, you know, this is a very long tradition that has been going on for centuries. And like what you said, Jen, that we are in a very fortunate time where we can actually document these stories and to distribute because there's no other perfect person than ourselves to actually put it out there. So, you know, get on it. Get lit. <laughs> Love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, Nani, do you have any closing thoughts? I know that you had the most questions on the show. Anything else you want to share with our listeners? No, I'm done talking your guys' ears <laughs> off. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, don't ever apologize on the show. I'm completely okay with you talking and abusing my time, which you're not. <laughs> Thank you. I just feel like I was like firing random shots at Angelica, like <laughs> for two hours. <laughs> well, like, I really appreciate your questions, Nani, and also Jen for like, interjecting and whatever like I really am so fortunate to be in this space again and you can like find me again 
wherever you want to like talk about stuff. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, overall, I, I am just super grateful. I feel like every episode we do on the Filipino American Woman Project podcast show just gets more deep and raw and just enlightening and insightful, like, you know, just fill in the blank of whatever adjective that just makes you feel more of yourself and, and embrace all that you are as a Filipina American woman, um, or just a Filipino American person, you know, or someone of Filipino mm -hmm. descent. So with that said, I want to thank you both again so much for your time and also for our listeners. Thank you so much for listening in. We hope that you gained so much knowledge and wisdom from our show today. Uh, with that said, we, we are so excited to speak with you again on the next episode. So tune in next time. Thank you guys for listening. Happy Filipino American History Month. Hey, thanks so much. Get lit fams. Hey everyone, Jen Amos here. Thank you so much for joining me at the end of the episode. Uh, I wanted to add a special announcement. Uh, so typically when we invite people to, um, you know, to listen in live for our episodes, we usually promote it through our Instagram stories. Well, uh, with the bloopers or the outtakes I'm about to share with you after this uh, announcement, um, I wanted, I thought it would make sense to invite all of you to join Nani and I. Give me one second and pull it up on the calendar here. Uh, we are inviting you, or at least I am, and I'm sure Nani's going to be completely okay with it, <laughs> but to join us on our final episode for Filipino American History Month. Uh, in which we are planning on doing a collection of the Pinay visionaries that all of you have nominated. And uh, the best part of it uh, is that we're planning on drinking. <laughs> like, okay, just no, no filter. We're planning on drinking uh, for this special episode, and we would love for our listeners to join in live. And so if you are interested in joining in live and grabbing a drink with us uh, virtually, um, it's the, the, the drinks aren't virtual though, but you know, meeting with us will be virtual because Nani's in the West Coast and I'm in the East Coast. Uh, if you are interested, mark your calendar. It's going to be October 24th. 2019. And uh, what was I going to say here? Um, it's going to, we're probably going to aim for 9 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so if you're in like New York area, that's uh, 9 p.m. or Virginia. Uh, if you are Western, if you are on the West Coast, that'll be Pacific time, which will be six o'clock. So there's a three hour gap. And everyone in between, um, I'm going to be, uh, I need to figure out because uh, I know we have listeners in Chicago. So let me just look that up for you all real quick because I am generous like that with time zones. Uh, so it, that would be, let me see here. That would be central time, which is one hour behind the East Coast. So that would be uh, eight o'clock central time. Okay. So let me repeat that again. <laughs> uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time, 8 p.m. Central time, and 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. You're welcome.
But if you are interested in joining us to close out the month of Filipino American History Month and join us live and and chat with us as Nani and I drink and talk about and celebrate the Panay visionaries that you all have uh, nominated via email, Insta stories, you know, direct message and what have you, then please join us. Once again, that's October, let me see, October 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central Time and 6 p.m. Pacific time. All right. We hope to see you there. With that said, please enjoy these outtakes. I know that Dr. Don Mabalon had her involvement with it. I think she did. Hold on. I want to get this right. Yeah. Um, No, do it. (laughs) Or I could just like quickly get the book from my bookshelf right now. Yeah, go Do it. Yeah. I just feel like we're hanging out right now, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, like... I'm about to like pour myself a drink. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Okay. Yes. okay, like scratch everything I said time. before. <laughs> oh, oh, Nani, we should totally do that. <laughs> okay, next interview, next interview. <laughs> oh my God, you know, our, our closing interview for the month, you and I should totally yeah. do that. I am so oh God, down wait, for that. <laughs> Let's write that down. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It's going to be, I'm going to put it on the calendar. I'm going to put it on I the love calendar. That. Okay. Yeah. Send me an invite. <laughs> I will, I will, I will. Okay. 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 All right. All right. Okay. okay. Noted. Okay. Go ahead, Angelica. <laughs> okay. So like Jen, just like. Um, how's that drink going, Nani? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't actually pour it. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. You know, it's going to be perfect because like, <laughs> because on the 24th in which we're supposed to do like our closing episode for the month, like mm-hmm. I won't have any other responsibilities. So I'll be more than happy to drink with you, oh, Nani. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to get on a little early and like, <laughs> yeah, but, but Cheers just so you- yeah, just so you know, we do have an interview like five o'clock your time. But there's like a three hour gap, so I'm gonna push down. Like, I'm gonna like we're gonna like kind of close that gap, and so we might be a little buzz by the time we talk to Christy, or we or we could do it after Christy. We could do it after her, just just so you know, because that might be better. Anyway, this is totally off the yeah. record. <laughs> I guess it doesn't really make a difference to me either way, before or after. But maybe after, I guess. I'm gonna It'll put it better. after because that yeah, be that's fun. probably a better yeah. idea. You're going to get my invite. It's going to be updated. And so I'm going to like, I'm going to like put like a drink emoji in that calendar invite. Yes. I love it. <laughs> now I have something to look forward to. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I got to celebrate Filipino American History Month one way or the other. So right. Really <laughs> in our own way. Yeah. Yeah. I exactly. know. I almost.